Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. So, Dan, I'm going to give you a hypothetical scenario, and I'm going to tell you how it feels. Jumping in quick. Yeah, we're jumping in quick here. You wake up early in the morning. You get back at about midday. You hop in the shower. Turn the, It's a little too hot. You got sunburn on because you spent the morning on the beach. How does that sound in, in mid-April? Oh, that was you today. You guys went yeah, to the beach today. We did. We did. We did. And, and then we were sitting there. So we got a couple of showers, pop-up showers early in the day, which was unfortunate. But we got to drive around town a little bit. Um, got some coffee and, and a little quick breakfast to eat. So we're sitting there at about like one o'clock, right? And obviously we got Brady. It's a good opportunity to get him out of the house, keep him worn down. You know, he can be crazy sometimes. Danielle looks at me and she goes, why does nobody else have their dog out on the beach? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't really think about it. Can't have dogs from April 1st, <laughs> October 31st or whatever it is. So, uh, but Brady, I mean, he was, you know, Brady, he loves people, so he, it's no harm. But at that point, we were kind of like, ah, let's just head back. She had some work to do. Obviously, we were recording tonight, but um, we, we definitely want to find a dog-friendly beach here in North Carolina. But April 16th, we're sitting on the beach, 80 degrees and sunny. It was pretty awesome. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I went uh, in March. It was 80 degrees and I was on the beach, so you can't beat it. Did you go to Sunday's? Yes, we did. Yeah, we did. We went and grabbed some coffee. Cool spot, um, yeah. Yeah, Danielle got an acai bowl. I got a nice little bagel, um, keeping it keeping it small. And then we grabbed a quick bite on the way home and, and got in 3.30. So not too bad. What did you Can't eat on the way home? Did you eat in We just in grabbed something quick. No, we grabbed something quick went, because we had like gravy. Mom- yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, there's yeah, not yeah. a ton of spots there either. No, I mean, um, the island's small. Yeah, so uh, – but yeah, good day, good day. We, we, we got to do some research and find out uh, 
some some dog friendly beaches so he can take Brady because he was smoked. It was good, like because he got a lot of energy out. He was able to just dig in the sand with like no regards oh. for anything. He was just like having the time of his life. He, he was being good. So, uh, but obviously, college baseball. Uh, we've been kind of uh, teetering on, you know, being able to get episodes out. The balance of MLB opening day as well as us traveling for some live college baseball and wanting to recap the weekend we had in Columbia. Uh, so I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've done an in depth on what's going on around the country, but uh, we wanted to get back on here on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, this this will be a two parter episode. Uh, we're gonna have a guest on on the back end, but um, you know, just kind of recap what's going going on in the weekend and, and everything across college baseball. So just some some weekend results as we sit here at 421 Eastern Standard Time. So some games are still in action, some rubber matches, but uh, do have some final series. Uh, we have Wake Forest wins a big series at Louisville. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth about, about them, but you know, they just keep on winning. Uh, LSU continues their their dominance. They take down a kind of a, a tough Kentucky team at the box. Arkansas's up in game three against Tennessee. Tennessee had a little bit of a shakeup in their weekend rotation. We got Vandy up on South Carolina in the rubber match. It's been a fun series. Both those teams can definitely swing it. We got Ethan Petrie breaking the South Carolina home run record in mid-April, uh, and they still got four or five more weeks to play before the season ends, so he's going to continue to shatter that record for probably all freshmen ever at South Carolina. Miami came up to our neck of the woods in Chapel Hill and takes down UNC. Got West Virginia. They're up late looking for a sweet sweep in Stillwater, Oklahoma against Oklahoma State. Oregon is up on Stanford in a rubber match out west. And we have UNCW up against TCU. Good little uh you know, tough mid-major team going down to Fort Worth, Texas in the bye week for the Big 12 and, and battle in TCU. So, Dan, obviously there's a, a lot of series to unpack, but what are some of the things that stand out to you uh, as we kind of run down those scores? Ethan Petrie is going to have two more years to break his own record. Kids of true freshmen. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I was uh, We were down there last weekend, and I was texting my uh, – really good family friend who is a, an alumni of, of South Carolina. And I was texting him, like, imagine, imagine being him freshman at South Carolina, setting the home run record must be a, a tough life. That kid's living. Can't imagine. I feel bad for him. Um, but yeah, obviously wake, uh, wake's really good. And I kind of declared early on as we got into this, that I was really bought in on wake. We went and saw him at Duke. We saw one of their few losses at Duke actually. Um, but just how good they are. And, and they're really a complete team. Like we've, we've spent so much time on this podcast talking about LSU deservingly. So, and we've talked about how complete they are. And I think Wake Forest is right up there with how complete they are from pitching to the offensive standpoint. And um, Florida is too, but, uh, and then that Vandy South Carolina series has been super entertaining. I mean, the emotions in that series and the back and forth, and we've had lead changes and good for Vandy. Cause, um, you see the South Carolina offense, and, and we've talked about how Vandy doesn't play to the three-run homer, but they've been scoring with that South Carolina offense that does live and die by the three-run bomb. Um, yeah. And they've, they've been competing, and, and it's been a, a fantastic series back and forth. And then, you know, I would just like to kind of add on, as you touched on there, hysterical. Like, we have a, we have a bye in the Big 12. Uh, let's schedule a mid-major. We can win a conference, you know, win a, a series against and UNC Wilmington goes down there. Not so fast, my friend. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. And and speaking of Vandy, obviously, like we kind of talked about their offense on the whole. You know, they they found some pieces that are starting to really, you know, take part in that lineup and, and really be huge contributors. Um, being able to kind of get guys like Chris Maldonado, who's a guy we talked about at the time, he's now hitting 360 uh, with four home runs. You have RJ Shrek, who's hitting 347 with nine home runs. Enrique Bradfield has four home runs. We were talking about him. He was hitting 240 with none, you know, a couple weeks ago. And everybody knew, I mean, he's, he's such a fantastic baseball player that, you know, he was going to turn it around, but now he's up to 304 with four home runs. And as he continues to go and he's, 26 for 30 on stolen bases. And then even at the bottom of their lineup, I think what makes the Vandy team is they might not have the Petries of the world. They might not have the Tristan Cassis, which Tristan Cassis was a Commodore a year ago, but now he's obviously with South Carolina. But at the bottom of their order, I can't say one through nine where they hit in the order, but you have Parker Nolan, who has six home runs, Davis Diaz, who has five home runs, Jack Bolger, who has four home runs. Like, So they have guys that they might not have the guy with 20 home runs. They might not have four or five guys with 12 plus. They actually have nobody with 10, right? And their, their highest is nine. Then second highest is Parker Nolan at six. But everybody on their team has the potential to do it, and they have shown the ability to do it. So, I mean, in their power numbers, it's team-wise, they're as good as anybody. Individual-wise, they don't have anybody who's like game-changing three-run home run guy. Yeah, like when you look at it of the regular nine, um, everyone has at least three homers, and that's only one guy. So if you look at you know the top eight guys, they all have like four, five, six home runs. So they – they find some power when they need to. And we had talked about this all years, like leading up is get, you know, get your stuff together for conference play, you know, get your ducks in a row for conference play. Cause that's really when, you know, your season kind of makes or breaks because sure. If you get off to a hot start, that's great. And that can build confidence. But at the end of the day, right. You kind of earn your worth in college baseball during conference play. And it's always a different animal because you're so familiar with each other, the programs and, and um, those series are always intense. And that's what Vanderbilt has done. And the offense kind of, like you said, they found the identity of what they were looking to do. Because when we had talked about them a couple weeks ago, it was like, well, I think it was right after they'd swept Ole Miss, right? So it was that first weekend. And we were like, well, can they start to form this identity? And they have, and they've been rolling. And then you look at the pitching staff. It's impressive because there's three guys that start for them. Haven't logged a ton of innings. But, like, look at what they've done. They've kept them in games. They've pitched with the lead. They haven't given away the free base. And then they, they've really done a good job of kind of getting use out of every single guy on their roster. I mean, when you pull up their, their pitching stats, it's it's impressive because they only have three guys who are, you know, qualify for what would technically be the leaders, right? Who have thrown enough innings because they just spread they spread the love. And there's a ton of good ERAs in there. It's not like mm-hmm. you see sometimes you look at college ERAs and you got guys towards the bottom with 10, 12s, 15s, 8, 9s. It's like, no, like the worst ERA on that team's a, a, a 7 1 1, and that's only in six and a third innings. Like they've done a really good job of, of being able to kind of understand what they're going to get out of their starters, use them properly, and then kind of plug guys in where they can be successful on the mound. And, um, you know, this is a team and a program with postseason experience, too. So they understand what it takes to get it done. And they've kind of proven throughout conference play that 
that they're up for it this year. And this is this just turned out to be a good roster. I mean, we, like there were questions, right? And they kind of went away. And like here's Vanderbilt again. They're a top five team in the country. They're handling South Carolina, who we saw last weekend and were super impressed with. And here's this Vanderbilt team who weekend after weekend, that SEC schedule continues to answer the bell. Yeah, and when you when you recruit at the level that they do, the depth of the rosters where you win a lot of baseball games and the talent that they're able to combine to make their roster as good as they are is is super impressive. I mean, I, we talked about this when we talked about Vanderbilt earlier in the year. It's a matter of the ability to have guys develop and step up, and they have guys do it every year. You know, Chris Maldonado's a freshman. Right for him to step up and, and lead the team in batting average and show some power—that's a huge step up. You don't know if that guy's going to do that in the fall. You got to see it in the spring. R.J. Shrek's a, a graduate transfer from Duke, and tell me if you've heard this before. But somebody was on Twitter talking about how Tim Corbin doesn't go into the transfer portal, um, but he just don't listen to people on Twitter because they grabbed R.J. Shrek from from Duke as a graduate transfer, and he's a huge piece for them. And and like you said, from the pitching side of things, I'm, I'm you know I don't know why we would be shocked. Um, I don't know why anybody would be shocked at all. Um, you know, I think we we're a little down on their roster to begin with, but a well coached team that's able to do a lot well that has depth. It's a Tim Corbin club. Right, they don't have the JJ Bladays, they don't have the Spencer Jones, they don't have the Dansby Swanson on this team. That's going to go number one overall. That's going to go top ten first round uh, piece. They don't have the Jack Lighters. They don't have the Kumar Rockers. But this team might almost be better built to succeed in the playoffs because of the depth they have on the mound. We talked about that with Leah. It's a, a matter of being able to combine your depth at the right time of the season to make sure you you're able to win game four and five in a regional and win game three in a super and win game six, seven, eight in Omaha, right? That's how you win a national championship. We play this season that's built around winning series and three game sprints. And then you go into a regional and you're in game four and you have to burn arms that you didn't throw all year. Um, or in high leverage innings that you didn't throw all year. So this team is well positioned to continue to have success. And, and it's a really impressive group. And, and like I said, it should come as no surprise that a Tim Corbin led team is fundamentally sound, deep, good baseball club. Um, but I think in terms of name value, they don't have the, the guys that you normally think of when you think of, of a Commodore baseball club, but you know, they do a really good job of making the most of the group that they do have right now. Yeah, what more can you say? I mean, like you said, winning at the, the edges of your roster is extremely important, and that's the funny part about um, this sport is, like you said, is, is you're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the most part all year, and you're looking at everything in those three-game stretches and running, and then you get to conference tournament playing. You're playing five, six games in a four-, five-, six-day stretch, and then you go to regionals, and you're playing four games in four-day – and like. And then you go to Omaha, and that's ridiculous. And like that's your how many times have we seen in Omaha relievers throw eight innings? Yeah, because you get to that and things change. So to be able to have the depth and one not tax your starters the way they have, they've they've seemed to not have to you know significantly ride guys, but then also know exactly what you're getting from every guy because you've put them in situations all year long and you've used them and you've given them experience. And to me, that's what's so important. And a lot of times. When you get caught up in winning those three-game stretches, it's so easy to give the ball to the, the Friday guy, let him go seven, eight innings, 
best reliever, boom, boom, pack it up, go home, and just continue to do that as you roll through the yeah. season. And so guys aren't getting, you know, we'll throw them in the midweek. Well, pitching on a Tuesday at, at Kennesaw State is not the same as pitching in a regional at, you know, in Even in your June. home park. Even your yeah, home and park. Even your home doesn't park matter. When it's even at home, yep. right, in June, it's not the same thing as doing that. So to be able to get these guys some high leverage and just simulate some of those innings is so important, and that's what they're really good at. And when you look at, those, you know, kind of these top five teams and you look at, like, what's LSU's weakness? Pitching depth, bullpen. especially with the injuries yeah. they've had in the bullpen, right? Well, their starters have been good, but outside of schemes, like there's some flaws there, right? The bullpen depth, not as good. Look at Vanderbilt. Look at Florida, who's a little bit, I would say, even a little bit better than that. And then I'm going to pull a host move here. I'm going to transition. Look at Wake Forest. Look at the numbers of that pitching staff. And you go, I, I know the ACC isn't as good this year as the SEC, but look at the numbers of what Wake Forest pitching staff is doing. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you, you, that just the, I mean, start with Louder, Hartle, and Sullivan, who is the weekend guys at Wake. And you're looking at microscopic ERAs. They're Sean Sullivan, tough man. You, you've done the worst of the of the weekend guys, and and you have a 205 ERA. Yeah, and this Wake Forest team, it, it's a team that like, you know, I always love to give us some flowers when we can. So you know, I'm going to give us some flowers. We were on them after really, quite frankly, right out of the gate. One right <laughs> out of the gate, and oh, I mean, it's not like that came out of left field. They were preseason top ten, like they're right. loaded, like. But not everybody knew what they were going to get outside of Rhett Louder, right? There were some question marks there, right? Everybody knew about the two guys on the corner of the infield, but who's going to be the next guy that steps up, right? Then you lose a draft eligible first round projected starter and you yep. don't even miss a beat. Not Move at all. Sean Sullivan into the rotation and he just dominates. He's a stud. And it's so impressive what this group has done. I mean they're sitting at 31 and four. Every week we come up on a new opportunity to be like, oh, we're sitting, you know, early in the season, it was like, all right, like Duke's gonna get push them. Duke's gonna give them a challenge, especially because they lost to Coastal in the midweek. They go and win a series at Duke. Yeah, they slipped up, but that's you know that happens in baseball. And then it's like, okay, let's circle the Miami series to see if Wake's for real, right? Sweep, bully, <laughs> not even question, not right? Even, yeah. Okay, right. now we're legit. Now we're believing in this team. Okay, NC State's supposed to be a good ball club at the preseason. Game one gets canceled. Well, we still take two out of two in that series. We'll probably beat you up later in the year. And then it's like, oh, Louisville's a top 10 team. They got talent across the board. You always know that they're going to be in a good position to win ball games, especially the later in the year you get. Well, let's go win the first two games of that series. And it never stops. They have not stopped winning this whole year. They're going to continue to win. Their next challenge is obviously Boston College, who's obviously going to be a tough test that they get at home. And then Virginia Tech's going to be a tough test. But their path is paved to finish this year in really less than 10 losses. They're 31-4 and four right now, and, and the toughest part of their schedule is behind them. Yeah, thirty-one and five. That game went final. They lost oh, today, yep. but but yeah. I mean, they're fourteen and three in conference play, and they won that series at Louisville, which is something that doesn't happen. That's all you want to do. That's Teams all you don't. Do. I mean, it had been over. It had been almost two years since Louisville lost the series at home, and Wake Forest goes up there and, and no problem. I mean, they 
bash. Rhett Louder's unbelievable. And then Sean Sullivan, who's really one of my favorite pitchers in the country. Um, yeah. Just, you know, a guy that get out of the portal, a guy who has 74 strikeouts and 44 innings, something like that. And he doesn't walk guys. He's got under 10. I think he has, does he have under 10 walks still in the year? Yep, I mean, nine. Like, so not only is he punching guys out, and he's doing it primarily with one elite pitch and then some eh, secondary offerings. And it's just like because he's like – Here's another lesson to anyone, if we have anyone listening who still is a pitcher and still plays. Like, if you have a really good one pitch and you throw it for strikes and you don't leave the strike zone, you can be this. I mean, that's what he does. He comes at you essentially with one pitch, but he's like, he's nonstop. He doesn't give you a chance. You never have, you're never in count leverage situations against him where you can just sit on a pitch. And even if you are just sitting, because I'm sure that's the approach against him would be, hey, we got to be able to get on top of the fastball. It's, like he's just going to move it around on you and it's going to be in the zone nonstop. And so it's really hard to hit. And like, just look at their pitching staff alone and this would be a really good team. And then yeah, what the offense does, I mean, I know it's a smaller park. I know the ball flies there. I understand that, but look how many home runs they've hit this year. There's 64 bombs. I mean, they have two guys with double digits Justin Johnson's probably going to get there. He's too shy of, of 10 homers. Cessary's going to get there. I think he's hurt, though. He's got nine he's homers. He's been hurt. Ham, he had um, a hamstring problem a couple right. of weeks ago. I mean, Brock Wilkins, one of the – I I feel like Brock Wilkins doesn't get talked about enough. Um, he's cooled off yeah. a little bit. His average isn't there. But he's got 16 homers still. Nick Kurtz is unbelievable. I, like, this team is really, really good. And, again, you can say what you want about the ACC not quite being the gauntlet that the SEC is, right? You're not having to go to Tennessee every other weekend, LSU, whatever. But, I mean, it's no picnic some some of these series. Like, Miami's not an easy series. Going to Louisville is not a picnic. Like, And, and they'll get a good test with Boston College, and, and um, it'll be fun to watch that. But how are you not high on Wake Forest going into postseason play? No, and, and this team is so – like what's impressive is you notice Nick Kurtz has 26 games played, right? They're obviously sitting at 31 and five. They've played 36. So you have a first round draft guy who's hitting 345 with 10 pumps this year, missing games, still winning. You have Doesn't Adam matter. Cessary who goes out with a hamstring problem the midweek before the Miami series. Well, seamless transition, keep winning. Justin Johnson hasn't started every game that he's played in. He started to fill into more of a, a piece for them recently. Seamless, still winning. You have, like like I mentioned, with a first rounder going down and Sean Sullivan moves into the rotation from the bullpen. Seamless, just elite, pounding the strike zone with one pitch. I mean, and then you have Josh Hartle pitching on Sundays. He was originally supposed to be penciled in as a midweek guy. Oh, 1.94 ERA. Unbelievable. Almost as many strikeouts as Sullivan has. Less walks that's, as Sullivan has in more innings. And that's not to mention the best professional arm in the eyes of scouts and the best strike thrower who probably has the worst stat line out of all of them other than ERA. It's like, oh, he's only punched out 67 and 56 innings with 11 walks. It's just like that is absurd to think about is that they can carry that depth and be able to just not even – question like okay like we lose a couple guys we're gonna have a couple bumps in the road here like just being able to handle that as a group i mean like i said i mean i said it a couple times tommy teddy mcgraw goes down he's a projected first round pick and you don't even realize you might you think they might their weekend rotation might have got better they're they're 36 games into the season 
their top three guys. Now, I'm not adding in the midweeks, so I don't know how many games it would be if you take out midweeks. But their top three guys have given up 30 earned runs. If I told you their midweek guys have given up 30 earned runs in conference play, you'd be pretty – like that's not – like that's still less than two a game from their from – their, right? Mm-hmm. They – like they, they've given up 30 earned, run, earned runs the entire year, those top three guys. That's just special. I mean, they've got it going on right now, and, and um, they're clicking. And, and again, like, how do you not? How are you not high on this team going into the postseason play? You know, like, I would be shocked if they're not in Omaha. Because again, like, yeah, like even even talking about LSU, like, like LSU has the talent. They have the name value. They have the first pitcher that's probably going to get taken in the draft. They have the one one overall player that's getting taken in the draft. They're loaded, but. Like you just said, you work all year to win two, win three game series, but then you get into postseason play, you get into conference tournament, and like I talked about, like now you're playing more games in these shortened days. You need depth on the mound, and that's where LSU is short. So, like I would say that Wake Forest to me probably has the best chance of getting into getting to Omaha than anybody in the country. I would go ahead and say that now, and I think especially because I think they're probably going to get a pretty favorable regional draw too. So like then you should do a super, and so it's like it'll be interesting. But to me, right now, as things stand, like this, they would be my favorite to get to Omaha right now. Yeah, if they can get out of a regional, they are going to have the leg up on ninety five percent of the country on the mound. Yep. The only team I would say might have a chance to push them on the mound is Florida, and that's Correct. more because of stuff wise. Stuff. I yeah. don't think, like statistically speaking, no, you would you would not agree with that. But because a regional is best four teams, you know, there's kind of a crapshoot. You're gonna burn. Do you burn Rhett Louder day one? Do you burn Sullivan to make sure you win? How well, important the nice is that game thing one? they that's have a, is that's that a debate. They can throw any of them. Game like they yes, can they exactly. can line it up how mm-hmm. they want because yes. like there is like because there really isn't any fall off between those three guys and how many teams in the country can you say that about? That's probably well, it. Well, the one Florida I mean, maybe. Let me. I, I could. I, I'm not done talking about Wake Forest, but I could segue it to the other team we want to talk about. Sure, but, but it is um, impressive. And even if they did match up, which they're never going to match up with LSU in a straight three game series, no, um, that is just impossible to happen at this point with how late we are in the season. But even then, like you're giving the nod to Wake Forest on the mound. In a three-game series, I'm absolutely giving it on the Wake Forest on the mound. Not only because of bullpen depth, because after day one, like, sure, Skeens is better than any of the three. Wake has the advantage Mm -hmm. in the other two games. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, I I know know what Paul Skeens has done. Yeah, without without Teddy McGraw. It's like, (laughs) they're pretty good. They're pretty good. And in this team, obviously, you mentioned their offense. I mean, yes, the park is small, but man, do they do a good job with hitters. I mean, they yeah. do a good like Sean Sullivan looks like he could pitch high leverage innings in the big leagues. Like you talk about those right guys now. in in professional baseball that throw those exploding fastballs, that guys like really good hitters swing at balls at their eyes. Like that is what Sean Sullivan has, and he pounds the strike zone with it. Like and it's just like, and Rhett Louder is so polished. He's such a polished oh, starter. You so know what you're getting. Yeah. Throws a ton of strikes. Ground ball machine. Doesn't give up the long ball. He has one home run given up. And the park there is like 310 down the lines and 375 right. in center. Like that, the, that is an airport. It's a jet stream there. And he's given up <laughs> one home run this year. 
Like, if you told me that after three weeks of the year, I'd be like, okay. He's pitched against Miami at home. Like, he's pitched against these really good ball clubs at home, and he's given up one home run in the jet stream. Like, that's insane. So, you know, obviously really good club, really good group. Obviously, we have an affinity for Wake Forest. Um, yeah. You know, we got we got our connections there with Colin, and, and you know, we're going to work on getting Colin to get us up there for, for a campus tour over the summer and a sit-down with Coach Tom Walters. So, um, you know, we're working on that behind the scenes, and Colin doesn't even know it yet uh, he just found out about that uh but for the last team we want to talk about today is obviously we talk about in name value the pitching staff of tennessee could go toe-to-toe with the florida and wake forest where you have three guys that are absolute horses but tony vitello he's searching right now he's searching He's trying to find the right mix he's trying to get this group motivated he's trying to find a way to you know have the best series uh output put the best guys in a position to succeed and they've had a gauntlet of a schedule like they are just like and guess what guess who's freaking coming to tennessee next week vanderbilt so it doesn't end this week they're playing arkansas this week they just came off a series against florida following before florida they played um LSU, like it doesn't end for them right now. So they're searching. Andrew Lindsay, who's had a great year this year, gets the nod on Friday night. What does that mean? That means Chase Dolander, who's coming into the year as the consensus number one pitcher in the class, isn't pitching at all on Friday. How are they going to run it? They ended up announcing him as a TBD. Andrew Lindsay so far this year had had a good year. Uh, right now, after Friday night, he's pitching to a 2-4-9 in 25 innings, so solid year. But you're talking about a guy in Chase Dolander who's could dominate at any moment. He's had the strikeouts this year. What does that mean with Chase Burns? When you bump Dolander back, which who ended up starting on Saturday, Chase Burns has been the starter on Saturday. Chase Burns, when he's in the strike zone, looks really good. Chase Burns, when he's dialed in, is unhittable. Chase Burns this year is pitching to a 6.10 and getting rocked and has given up eight home runs. Dolander's pitching to a 4.18. Obviously, Drew Drew Beam stays in the rotation. Well, he's laid an egg today as a 6-0 lead tells us early in the game. Now it's 6-2 in the top of the five. So, you know, I ask you this, and obviously that's a lot of, you know, kind of talking about what this team is doing and what they're trying to accomplish. But, you know, how hopeless can it feel at times to have guys as talented as Dolander and Burns and not get the production you want and know that any given moment Burns could settle in and be great. At any given moment, Dolander could settle in and be great, but you have to put your team in the best position to be successful because you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah, I mean, the... the Eight eight chances is enough. I mean, Burns hasn't gotten the job done, and not only has Burns not been consistently in the strike zone, but Burns has been getting hammered. I mean, we saw it at Missouri, and that was kind of finally like, okay, this is this is becoming a theme now. This is a Missouri team that you would expect them to to dominate and him to dominate, and he didn't, just like Dolander didn't. And obviously, we know the story there. They got swept, and and then they had they've, they've played a gauntlet of a schedule so it's not like there's ever a chance for them to get back on track and they just haven't done it and you get eight starts out of them and you have to make a move and like you said that the SEC is so competitive this team is playing for not only seeding in, in the ter- conference tournament but what's going to happen in a regional because if they continue to struggle they then you end up 
you know, getting a tougher draw in regional play. And, and look, Tony Vitello is a guy who we know is not going to, he's not going to wait around and let his guys go. Yeah, I wouldn't consider him necessarily a player's manager. Not that I've ever been in a room with him, but just from watching how he handles things, like he's, he expects a lot from his guys and he has the talent to expect a lot. So Look, if you're not getting the job done, he's not. He doesn't care about your feelings. Tony Vitello wants to win. That's all Tony Vitello cares about. I I can't imagine he cares about anybody's feelings in that locker room, especially when they're not playing well. You know, and he's gonna he's gonna search. He will. He will. He will try things until he feels like um, he has what what it's gonna take to to kind of get back to where they were last year. I think some of what we're seeing this year is sometimes the head games, especially with college kids, of now managing expectations. They kind of burst onto the scene and ran away with things, and they were on fire all last year. They were that team on fire, and then they kind of met expectations in the postseason play and obviously didn't advance, and everyone was kind of shocked. And then they come into this year, and everyone's like, well, this is the new standard for Tennessee baseball. This is the new standard for this program. And sometimes that's hard to deal with, right? Like, I, again, I'm not in the room. I don't know the psychology of these kids. I don't know the psychology of that locker room. But when you when you sit there and you look at the talent they have and what's going on on the field, you start to ask some of these questions. And I think it's fair this late into the season to go, well, how does this keep it? Like, I get Arkansas is really good, but so are you. <laughs> this shouldn't consistently happen. Like, all these big series, these tests that they've had, like LSU and, and Arkansas and everything, it's like, well, just win one of these series. I don't care that, like, you don't need to sweep any of these teams. Win a series. And like you said, and it's not going to get – Vanderbilt shows up next weekend. And like I've said, every time we talk about Tennessee, no team in this conference feels bad for them after what they did last year. So that's why, I mean, searching and trying to find an answer and making a shakeup at the top makes sense to me. And, and it's a shame to see Dolander, a guy, pitch like this because you don't know what it's going to do to his future and, and what happens. And – um, you kind of hate to see that because he was a consensus top guy, and then obviously things have transpired a little differently this year. But it's it's kind of fascinating, and it's almost hard to explain because of the talent that they have on that roster. There's no shortage of it. Yeah, and I, I know I said this last week when we were recapping the South Carolina series, but Tennessee takes me as the team this year that we're down on. Like, remember in – I think in a lot of sports, you always say like everybody's a year early on teams, yeah. right? You have the year where you blow up in the regular season and then you have your hiccup and then you struggle the next year because it's a balance of expectations and then you finally get it right and it's like, boom, we're here, right? right? Would I be surprised, especially when you look at what they have following Vanderbilt? Would love to get a series win against Vanderbilt. If not... Not the end of the world. You got Mississippi State, who's obviously been real, and Georgia, who's not who their football school. Kentucky, who <laughs> has had a good year, but they should handle. The big test will be the last weekend in Columbia, South Carolina, when they have to go face South Carolina. But at that point, momentum's a drug. You get Dolander right. figured out. He can dominate that lineup. You get Burns back motivated in the strike zone. He can dominate that lineup. Drew Bean's Mr. Consistency. Their lineup on the whole – has struggled, but you have a lot of talent. We've said this time and time again with this group. There is a lot, a lot of talent. Again, nobody feels sorry for them, especially the way you acted last year and the way you handled your business through SEC play. But if you told me that come June, this this was this year's Ole Miss Mississippi State, 
I wouldn't be surprised because the talent is in fact there. The capabilities of doing that are there. It's just a matter of getting it right, getting that group right. You're not rolling. I mean, you they know that group last year could tell you, and the guys that were playing for that group last year can tell you how intoxicated and how much of a drug confidence is, right? And how it flows through your dugout and how it doesn't matter if LSU, it doesn't matter if Paul Skeens is on the mound. It doesn't matter if Vandy's coming to town. It doesn't matter who's coming to town. You're going to handle your business and you're clean. And you're done and you go in a series. This year it's harder, right? The breaks don't go right for you. The tight games, the balls fall in. The wind's blowing out to left in Baton Rouge and fly balls are whipping through the infield and one plops on the top of the mound. Top of the mound, We've yeah. been at every every bit level of baseball. That is probably the hardest play for guys to make because not only do you have to climb a hill and catch it and keep your eyes on the ball, you, don't have, you can't fall. You have to make sure you don't run into the four infielders coming in on it. Those breaks aren't going right right now. You're playing sloppy baseball. Your errors come at the wrong time. Everything that's going wrong can go wrong. But again, we saw this with Ole Miss last year. When we were sitting there at this date a year ago, people were questioning if Ole Miss was going to make the tournament. Right, They were an SEC runaway from making the tournament. Tennessee's in better position than that. But if the breaks start to go right for this group, they find the starting nine that they need. They find the weekend rotation that they need. We talked about this with Thatcher Hurd. You're telling me a Chase Burns is coming out of the bullpen with a six ERA in a regional? Yeah, if that's what the rotation ends up. And, and how be. about next year, right? Like in next, like it, I wouldn't be surprised if next year Tennessee's at the top. And it's too early to talk about that, but like again, yeah, yeah like I wouldn't be surprised. Back I mean, lot. we've kind of been waiting on it, so like I understand the questions and why people are like are down on this team. And you should be a little bit because there's too much talent. But like you said, don't write them off yet. No, 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 not at all. And, you know, with Burns, I, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like a lack of focus, which I hate to call out for a guy that I don't know. You know, like I don't right. know right. Chase Burns. So not I hate to use day. that. Yeah, I'm not in the dugout with him. But, and who knows, maybe I mean, we see it at the big league level. And you, I don't like calling it a lack of focus at that level. But the guys that like when Chase Burns is dialed, and I said this after the game he pitched against Grand Canyon, he goes on stretches where he's unhittable. I mean, he has 69 strikeouts this year and 41 in the third innings. The stuff is there. He just loses it, loses it at times. When he can't command his slider, his fastball becomes hittable, and he starts getting roughed around. It's the age-old thing, but he's still good enough to be an ace. I mean, he is a top pitcher in next year's draft. There's no doubt about it, but it's almost a matter of, I hate to use the term focus, but the ability to be consistent, the ability to stay in the strike zone for six innings, the ability to dominate in the strike zone for six innings. And his ability to do that just hasn't been there. And it wasn't there last year all the time. It was a lot easier when you're backing up Chase Chase Dolander, who is was eight and a third, seven and a third, 12 punch outs, one earned all year. Just like, oh, well, I don't have to be perfect. Now Chase Burns has to be perfect because Dolander isn't perfect. And it's starting to compound on the both of them, which, you know, maybe it's a good change of scenery for Chase Burns then. Yeah, time will tell. I mean, they, they're not out of time yet. So, I mean, they just got to, you know, I think searching and, and 
trying to shake things up was probably the right move at this point. Definitely, definitely. And and I think, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Vandy. Like I said, if they could pull out, you know, a series win and get them rolling to Mississippi State, Georgia, that should be – you're going to need six wins there uh, for what they – from what they uh, have been. So you're not looking for series wins anymore. You're looking for series sweeps. But um, look ahead to this weekend. We got a, a lighter slate, um, so only a couple of series uh, to keep an eye out for. But Florida heads to Columbia to take on South Carolina. That'll be a fun series. There are going to be so many home runs. So it's many. Insane. <laughs> so many home it's runs. Insane. What are you putting that over under at? Three games, 27 innings. Good weather. Oh, my gosh. Hold on, let me. Twelve and a half, over. 10, 11 and a half. You over. think more than Way four over. a game? More than I think, four a I game? Think, <laughs> I honestly, I, I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking right, right now. I'm putting in a just a the heavy bet. If there's a line that's nineteen and a half, I'm hitting the over there. <laughs> like I am just I, like like an alt line. If we're those going two alt offenses, line, yeah, yeah, with two. those two offenses, I'm taking the crazy one because it's just like that part. It's three eighty to center. <laughs> it's three eighty to center. It makes for good viewing, though. Oh, it's phenomenal! It is phenomenal. Yeah. I'm I'm going alt line over nineteen and a half. We'll go standard line. We'll set it at with the weather. Went, we're gonna go thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half. Brisk yeah. eighty five. What are you going? Because I'm going alt line over. I'm going. I'm going thirteen. I, I and guess. Half I guess I'll lean. You're right. I mean, I guess I'll lean with the over because it's not like there's any pitchers in this series who aren't liable to get clipped either. They're yeah. all liable to. Like, they, there's They're no all one liable who's... to get a clip. And then and then. Jack Caglianone is going to get pissed off that somebody clips him and he's going to go hit a homer of himself. Um, but some other series to look out for. Vandy, obviously, like we mentioned, travels to Tennessee. That'll be a good test for the volunteers. Boston College heads, heads south to Chapel Hill to take on UNC. Uh, UNC's kind of just been, you know, up and down this year, kind of like laying in the weeds almost. Um, you know, series loss this weekend in Miami was tough, but uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Boston College can have another uh another series win against a good team. And then LSU heads to Ole Miss. Um, you know Swayze's gonna be rocking. You know that Ole Miss team wants to figure it out. Um should be a fun series there. But uh damn, what are you most excited to see this weekend? Florida, South Carolina. That's easy. There's gonna be home runs of plenty. It's gonna be the place is gonna be rocking. It's- yeah. That's the one to tune into this weekend for sure. Definitely, definitely. Well, so ton of baseball uh, to look forward to, um, but we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. and With the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, Find your game you want to go to and enter promo code Backside Ground Ball to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code Backside Ground Ball for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BacksideGroundBall. Welcome back to part two of the Backside 
Ground Balls College episode week nine review. And we have a very special guest here. We have Aaron Arnstein. Uh, he is the co-station director with WMUC Sports, University of Maryland's student-run sports station. And he also writes and is a broadcaster for Maryland Baseball Network. Aaron, thank you for joining us here. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Of course, of course. So uh, Dan and I have talked a couple times on the podcast about just how interesting Maryland is. Obviously, we are DMV guys or local to the DMV, so we're, we've kind of been close to the program. So when we connected and, and I kind of thought it was a good opportunity to not only gain some more information about Maryland, but also offer our listeners a, a perspective about a Big Ten program. You know, obviously in college baseball, we get infatuated with the SECs and the ACCs of the world, uh, but Maryland's a, a really good program. Program. been impressed from what I've seen but you know ultimately last year they take a huge step forward in coach Vaughn's fifth year uh, they win the Big Ten for the first time since he's been there and the talent there has been a lot better the lineup is really deep it's really good um, so from your perspective as somebody who's followed the program obviously for the last two years what's been kind of the biggest difference that coach Vaughn's been able to implement and that has allowed University of Maryland to have a lot of success over the last two years yeah, I, I think I think two of the things, and they're pretty general, but just the pitching, the the Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday guys that they've had have just been excellent these last few years. You look back to even, I believe, 2015, 2016, this team made the Supers. So it's not like they haven't had that success in the past, but, you know, Coach Vaughn was, was there for that, and they're starting to build something special in College Park. But those, those three weekend starters have been great, and just the power. Now, Maryland... The park plays small, but the, the the guys that they've had the past couple of years, which we'll get into, um, have, have really done a great job, not just hitting for power, but also for average at the plate. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this, because obviously schools have a niche. We we have connections to Wake Forest, and we pay a lot of attention to Wake Forest, and now we're local to Wake Forest. And being in a smaller park, right, like Wake Forest is, plays small. Is there an initiative in recruiting, at least that you've seen from whether it be younger guys or just some guys that they bring in? Is there a power focus? Is that a thing that they want to do or do they develop power very well? And it seems like guys kind of grow into that more. Yeah, they uh, they definitely develop power very well. They have, and I'm not just just saying this because you know I'm with the team, but they have one of the best hitting coaches in all of college baseball. Uh, Matt Swope, who's I think in his tenth or tenth year uh, with the Terps, they have guys who come back who are in the major leagues now. Lamont Wade, uh, Kevin Smith, some other guys who come back to Maryland in the off season just to train for him. And what they really preach in terms of recruiting is is just. They look for like gritty guys who aren't necessarily going to, you know, Coach Vaughn always says, we're not the LSUs of the world in terms of the facilities we have. They have something which is called the shell, which is like their batting facility. Uh, No heat, no air conditioning. It floods sometimes when it rains a lot. And they still got guys like Lamont Wade coming back there and training with Swope in the offseason. So it just, it speaks to how much these players that are with the team now and have, you know, who now alums of the program really, really value their hitting coach, Matt Swope, who again is one of the best in all of college baseball. Yeah, he definitely is. He definitely is. And and you can tell when you watch them play. And we were kind of talking off air a little bit of, of how impressed Dan and I were with 
the Maryland team. I mean, they went down to Ole Miss. They struggled a little bit. They ended up playing Ole Miss four times in in two weeks, right? Like, that's tough. This Ole Miss team's kind of hit some speed bumps in SEC play, but that's a good Ole Miss team. That team recruits nationally. They just won a national championship. So that is a challenge in its own. But looking at the lineup, one through nine, you could tell every guy had a plan. When guys would walk up and they would flash their numbers from last year, it was like, Every guy was like 330 with power, right? And whether you play in a small park or not, that's impressive, right? It is hard to hit for power consistently and still hit for high average as a team. And so when I walked away from that series of watching them play Ole Miss a couple times, I was impressed. I was like, this team, when they get into Big Ten play, I'd seen Rutgers live the first weekend. I thought they had talent. They were rough around the edges. And I think that uh, you've kind of seen that as they've been at peaks and valleys in Big Ten play, but I kind of figured it was a matter of time once the schedule lightened up for them to just open up. And we've seen through now three weeks of Big Ten play, they've won three series against, quite frankly, probably their toughest competition with the easier road ahead of them. So what have you seen? You can kind of digest this from a whole season view of what did you see early that allowed you to think that this was possible? Or even what did you see early that now has changed that you're surprising you now? And what has kind of led to this stretch of really good baseball that they're playing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and this is something that Coach Vaughn has talked a lot about, is early in the season, not only were they playing tougher opponents, top 25, Vanderbilt, of course, of course, Ole Miss as well, but one of the things that that really characterized the team last year was they were able to take a punch, whereas they, would, they might go down three, four runs late in the game, they would come right back at it, and as the broadcaster, uh, I always had... I always had confidence that they were going to come back. They were never down and out of any games. Uh, we saw that all season long last year. And then this year, that really didn't start to form until a couple of weeks ago. And, and that's something that Coach Rob Vaughn has seen in the team when they played uh, UCF a few weeks ago during winter break. That's when he said, quote, the, the switch flipped where this team had the ability to come from behind and, and they, they didn't feel like they were out of the game. Again, working quality at bats, uh, you know, one through nine in the order, innings one through nine. And, that's really where it changed during during uh, during spring break, and you know they've reeled off three consecutive uh, Big Ten series wins to start the conference uh, start conference play, and I think that's been the really big thing. And then the other thing, um, the pitching has gotten a little better now. The pitching, which we'll get into as well, has definitely been rough around the edges. Uh, but they have Jason Savicool, of course, you know the Friday night guy who was first team All Big Ten last year, uh, freshman phenom and Kyle McCoy. Um, but but they they have some uh, definitely some some studs on the pitching side and of course the offense is always there they lead the Big Ten in home runs uh, walks Matt Swope always stresses the plate discipline you mentioned having a plan at the plate uh, the offense is always going to be there yeah definitely and you mentioned that that trip to UCF for spring break and I remember scanning through D1 scoreboard and no free ads D1 baseball um, scoreboard uh, you can, we're gonna bill you for that but um, we do check the scoreboard often to keep track of what's going on and I remember seeing Maryland going down there and being like oh that's a good test before Big Ten play because Big Ten play had kicked off right like Big Ten play had started and and instead of going to a cakewalk and no offense to UMES and going down to the eastern shore and kicking somebody's teeth in like you're you're getting on a plane you're going down to Orlando to play some good baseball you're playing Florida recruits you're playing Florida dudes and when I saw that they won that series I was like Oh, like they can get going now. Like they can get going. They can stack it. And then you have an Iowa team who at the time was ranked 22 in the country. You have Brody Breck, who's arguably one of the best pitchers in the country, at least in terms of stuff. And they go and they take two or three 
on the road in Iowa City, that's a tough environment to go to. So, you know, what specifically did you see? Did you were you covering that weekend? Obviously, it was on the road in Iowa, but I'm sure you were following. What exactly allowed them to have success in Iowa? The weather wasn't great. I know the wind was kicking out on that Matt Shrell Grand Slam that went like 575 feet. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, what, what was able to kind of flip the switch there? Yeah, uh, I think it was the same thing because on Sunday, the game they lost, you know, they give up nine runs in the fifth inning. Uh, it was a brutal outing pitching-wise. But Friday and Saturday, Coach Vaughn talked about this is not uh, the weekend to, to, to pat, stat pad. Uh, it ended up being a highly offensive weekend, but they just they just rode the co- uh, rode off the coattails of their offense. Uh, you know, they had Nick Dean had a really good start. He had been struggling up until that point. Six of his last ten outings, he had given up four earned runs or more, and he came out. I believe he only gave up one hit or one earned run in five innings. Uh, so they got a good start of him. Of course, Savakul. You know, always giving you quality starts on Friday. So the starters really set the table. Uh, I know the, the bullpen wasn't great, but they were still able to get it done. And, and when they would when they would go down, they got back up. And then again, they were able to take a punch uh, and, and, and take two or three from Iowa. Um, now I'm going to get into this because we just came off an Ohio State series where the team, you know, they lost game three on Sunday against Ohio State. They lost the third game, a chance to sweep against Rutgers, and the same thing against Iowa. So. Uh, you know, Coach Coach Vaughn talked about post game today. Is it's there's definitely a bitter taste left in their mouths when you have a chance to finish. He's really been preaching you have to finish. You win the first two games, whether it's at home or on the road in the Big Ten series, and then they haven't been able to finish. They haven't been able to sweep, um, which which is definitely something that that Coach Vaughn has has been stressing. He wants to see this team finish the job when they get the chance to. Yeah, and that's the toughest part. Sundays are, we used to call them at Arcadia, we used to call them energy Sundays, um, because not only could you be in a rubber match in a lot of series, like you split the first two and you got to bring the energy and you got to win a series, right? The goal in college baseball ultimately is to win a series. But we almost used to up our energy when it was sweep opportunity on Sunday because it was like, those are what take you from two, three in the standings to like building a lead, setting yourself up for success in the playoffs, setting yourself up for a regional bid, an at-large bid if you don't win the conference tournament. So there's so much, so many variables that go into it. And it's ironic that we're looking at this. And, you know, we talked about this a couple of times with some other teams. It's like, do they have a Sunday problem, right? And usually that's the majority of things start on the mound on Sunday. So what is kind of your diagnosis on what that problem might be? I mean, I'm looking at eight runs scored on Sunday, eight runs scored on Sunday, and eight runs scored on Sunday the last three weeks. So it's not an offensive problem. What's kind of been the biggest uh, deal that's kind of holding them back with with getting good quality wins on Sunday? Yeah, it's it's definitely the starting pitching. Now, Kyle McCoy, who's, who's the Sunday guy, at first they had Nate Haberthier, the Ohio State transfer, and, and Kyle McCoy. And, and they decided to start Haberthier on Sundays. Um, and they didn't want they didn't want to have a, a similar situation with Kyle McCoy as they had with Jason Savakul when he was a freshman, which is where they kind of uh, they, they got it, they tired his arm out too quickly. Whereas you know the stretch run, he he was kind of gassed and they didn't have much stuff in the tank. And they wanted to have McCoy, you know, feel energized, you know, still have an arm by the end of of, of his freshman season. So they started him from the pen. He was electric, you know, it was pitching great. Uh, they finally decided to take what pitching coach Mike Morrison called the training rules off of him. Uh, they gave him the start against US or UCF during during the break on Sunday. Uh, he goes eight innings, gives up three hits, 
uh, nine strikeouts, and, and it was like, you know, look what we have here. They they knew they knew the type of pitcher they had, but that definitely opened eyes, uh, you know, around the Big Ten. Um, and then after that, again, he's he's been starting on Sundays. Just he's had tough days. Iowa four innings gave up, uh, you know, seven runs, five of those earned, a couple of walks, and then last week. Uh, against a really good Rutgers side that uh, you know won two out of three against Michigan this weekend, we saw their offense on, on full display. Um, gave up gave up uh, a couple of earned runs, eight hits, but the big moment was he was hit in the face by an 110 mile per hour off, uh, line drive from the All American Ryan Lasco in the face. He was able to walk off on his own power, but it was a really scary moment. Um, and after that, the, the energy was just was just zapped from the team. It was a home game, um, you know. Coach Vaughn could tell they just didn't have it the way they did before that line drive hit him, uh, hit McCoy, and you know we had to leave the game. And then you know they they lose that game where they still put up. I, yeah, you said I think eight runs, so they gave up like thirteen or something like that. But you know that was just a, a weird a weird circumstance where who knows what could have happened if he didn't get drilled in the face. Um, and then this Sunday, miraculously out of nowhere, we didn't know going into the weekend who was going to start on Sunday. McCoy, the ultimate competitor, gets the start on Sunday. <laughs> Coach Morrison said before the game today, he basically like forced him. He's like, "I'm starting. You're not. I'm not giving you a choice." Uh, McCoy said. So we, you know, he, Morrison gave in. Uh, he was on the mound, and he was great through the first three innings. He gave up an RBI double, but he he retired eight consecutive batters. And then it, it just all unraveled in the fourth inning. Gave up four consecutive walks that scored two runs, uh, and and they end up giving up eight runs in the inning. But uh, their their relief the, the relievers have not been good either. Andrew Johnson came in and you know it was a costly balk, a mental mistake from him, and then the inning just kept unraveling. But their relievers just have not been good uh, this year. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's crazy you say that with the because Iowa and Rutgers like from being in the college game like following Iowa like those that's a good offense right and yes. and being able to know the way they coach and the way they do things so tough outing for a freshman understandable takes one off the, like what are you going to do about taking one off the face i can't speak on Iowa or on ohio state's offense as much as Rutgers Rutgers i saw live they have two really good freshmen in my mind um, yeah. it, it, between Trevor Cohen and then Hugh Pinkley, who didn't play on Sunday yeah, there, looking exactly. at the box yeah. scores, but but they can both play. And then you have Chris Brito, who was preseason, I uh, believe, conference player of the year, if I'm not mistaken, and Ryan Lasko, who's obviously All-American. So t- two tough matchups for a young guy. The biggest thing, and, and Dan and I talk about this all the time, is being able to get going in the right direction at some point, right? We talked about it with Vanderbilt early in the year. They were rough around the edges. You, you were lucky enough to see Vanderbilt early in the year, but they were winning games, but it wasn't as clean. Well, sometimes you need that guy to step up and who's in your lineup all the every day, like Chris Maldonado for Vanderbilt now, who's hitting 360 with power, right? Who stepped up a couple weekends in and now is an everyday starter. Pitching staffs, right? We see it with Tennessee still trying to figure out what their rotation's looking like. LSU's trying to figure out a number three starter. Like, so we're still in April where teams are still trying to lay the foundation of what their pitching staffs and what their lineups are going to look like come late May, early June when it matters most. So kind of give an outlook for this season. I kind of already hinted at the fact that their toughest roads behind them, so they can kind of take some chances. You're probably going to see some better outings from some starters. What's kind of your perception on what this team should look like and how kind of the postseason outlook could be for them, assuming everything breaks right and they start to get everything in place? You know, 
how good can this team be? Can they win a uh, regional as a two or a three? Can they push somebody? Uh, going into the season, and I think this mindset hasn't changed. It was super regional or bust. I mean, they they were expecting to host, uh, you know, to have another college park regional. Last year was the first was the first time ever they hosted the regional. Uh, you know, bringing back a lot of guys, and then of course bringing in you know a great arm in, in McCoy. Uh, the expectation was that that they be able to one up what they did last year, which you know they played Wake Forest and they lost in Game Seven to a really good UConn side uh, in the regionals. But and I don't think that outlook has changed at all. Uh, obviously, at this point in the year, we haven't even gotten into it. They've had they have not played well midweeks, uh, you know, in some of these midweek games. Um, but the regional, you know, it's not looking good in terms of hosting a regional right now. But the goal still is to win a regional make it to supers and, and ultimately the goal is to win the college world series is something that, yeah. I mean, excuse me, make it to the college world series. Uh, it's just what a lot of guys were talking about preseason, but I don't think the goal has changed And the big 10. They're six and three now, you know, certainly still winnable. They're playing well in the big 10. I think it would be a different story if they weren't looking good in the big 10, uh, but they should have one, at least, you know, at least one sweep under their belt in the conference now when they have none. So I think they're, they're underperforming in the conference, definitely, uh, definitely by coach Rob Vaughn standards. Definitely, definitely. And so let's, let's kind of go into more of that depth that you're kind of talking about. Cause really to win a regional, you saw it last year, you go into game seven, like I can't tell you who started for them, but let me guess it was probably some guy that hadn't started a ton through the regular season was kind of either a talented freshman who they were given the ball and a chance to have success or a veteran who pitched long relief. Um, that's usually the game seven mold for most colleges. And, you know, when you look at college baseball and you look across college baseball, it's like you play for three game series right during the regular season. Your goal, been in a locker room, you talk about it. Hey, let's win two out of three. Let's win three out of four every week. We're happy, right? We're thrilled if we can take three out of four every week, two out of three on conference series. You're going to get through the season. You're going to be set yourself up for success. But then you get into a regional and you flip it. It's a complete 180. It's you go from playing in these short windows to needing depth, to needing arms to step up. So when we get outside those three guys that have started games for them and who've had success, who are some guys that are like rougher around the edges that are going to either need to step up or you think could step up when when push comes to shove and they're in game five in a regional, you know, playing at somebody else's park and you've got to get a good start out of a guy who might not have taken the ball much this year. Yeah, uh, you know, some of these guys, and, and we saw we saw two of these guys step up last year, was David Falco, who is right now top three in the Big Ten with five saves. He had two saves this weekend, uh, looked pretty good on the mound. Uh, and, and Nigel Belgrave, who was electric in the Cape this season, got off to an incredible start. He was It was kind of closer by committee, but you know, he was he was closer last year coming into the season, closer by committee. Uh, you know, him and Falco are, are the top dogs in that bullpen. You had an under under one and a half ERA for really the almost the entirety of the non-conference slate. Uh, and he's, he's just struggled lately a little bit. Uh, the big thing with him is control. You know, he can dial up to mid nineties with that fastball, but his control has, has been an issue throughout, throughout his, uh, throughout his Maryland career. Uh, but you know, we, we saw, we saw that control. It was he kind of, uh, he was better with his control early in the season against Maine this is a typical Nigel Belgrave outing. He walks the first three batters. The bases loaded, no outs. They're up by one run in the ninth inning against Maine. Um, and in the past, you know, that's it. He's, he's mailing it in. They're going to lose that game. But he was able to hunker down and strike out the next three guys um, and, and win that game 5-4 for the Terps. 
Um, but the control has just been uh, it, it's been a li- it's been creeping up on him recently. Earlier in the season, it was stronger than than uh, I think some people anticipated, and it was better. But uh, he, he's just been having a you know rough time lately, so he has to step up for them. Uh, and then David Falco as well hasn't had a great year. Uh, overall, this team has you know an ERA north of five and a half. So it's it's definitely tough. You talked about the depth last year. Game seven in the seventh or eighth inning, they have a position player, Nick LaRusso, who did did make a couple of outings last year on the uh-huh. mound. Strictly, you know, it's not a pitcher this year. He's strictly in the field at third base. But he was coming in like the seventh, eighth inning, and they just they were just looking for anybody to give them outs. Uh, yeah. So, you know, of course they're not looking for that this year. But I'd say Belgrave and uh, and Falco are, are two of those top dogs. Now, actually, let me let me mention someone else, Kenny Littman, who came over from D three Denison. Uh, was excellent. I mean, was a conference player of the year. He was uh, he was a stud. He's uh, he's had an, an up and down campaign for the Terps, but that's another guy that 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 Maryland's really hoping uh, can shine in the bullpen. Well, you just you just fired me up because I'm not. <laughs> we played we played Denison last year in Florida, um, so that that's just a small world there at um, at Arcadia where we were. We actually beat – that was what – so we creeped into the top 25 after beating Dennison was actually who it was. So I had to check to see if he had thrown against us, which he did not because um, <laughs> I probably – I would be like, I feel like I should have remembered that outing. Um, but they were – they're a really good ball club. So I, it comes as no surprise that they're sending a kid to play at Maryland and, and obviously and, – and there is an adjustment period and this is kind of to build off of the fact that you know he is a D3 guy. I've seen this with a lot – a guy at Arcadia that I coach is going to go to Chapel Hill next year and play. Um, and he's a stud. Like, kid is a stud. Obviously, you wouldn't be going to Chapel Hill to play from a D three if you weren't. Um, but it's tough. Like, it's a change of, of competition. You know, like so, it would come as no surprise to me if if Kenny Lipman come May was better than what he was come. You know, going to Ole Miss and trying to compete at that level. You know, that's understandable because you have to be more precise. You have to be better. And and obviously, I see here um, with Belgrave what you were mentioning. That is your typical like freshman sophomore year. The guy crumbles. He's in year three with the program. He buckles down and he bears down. Those are the guys that you, you see those like steps, those small baby steps, and those are the guys that fire you up the most because you know he could have a a five ERA. But if he comes in in a regional and he's in the strike zone against any team in the country, he's right. going to punch out and getting out of it. And you're like, let's go. We're going to win this ball game. It has nothing to do with his quantity of work. It's what can he be that day? And can he rein it in and be that stud that day? And and one of the other things I'm seeing when I see these stat lines is it looks like you mentioned the midweek struggles. It looks like it's midweek by committee. We got a couple guys with five starts, a couple guys with two starts, a couple guys with one start. What's kind of been the deal with that? Because your fourth starter is going to be needed at some point, you know, unless you you can really play good baseball and you can really hit a couple home runs in a regional. Um, you're going to need that fourth starter. And, and who who's kind of the guy that needs to step up from your perspective? Yeah. Uh, you know, let me just start off. Last year they they had – there's not not many uh, teams that have three bona fide weekend guys. Of course, they had – they had Dean, who was better last year, Savakul, who was first-team All-Big Ten, and, of course, Ryan Ramsey, who was drafted by the Royals. So they had three great, you know, three great weekend guys. This year they, they have, you know, one, one great guy. It's Solid and Dean, I would say, and then, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag on that Sunday. But 
it, it's it's tough to pinpoint one guy. I think Logan Ott is somebody who who, who shined his first first career uh, start last season. He I think went five innings, one hit. Uh, he was a bit of a surprise, but you know they have Ryan Van Buren and Logan Ott are two of the guys that that have kind of started midweek. Um, it's tough because you know, we there hasn't there ha- hasn't been much promise from them in terms of what they've shown on the mound. You look at both of them and over seven ERA. Those have been the two guys they've kind of turned to starting wise. Uh, Littman got a start as well, but it, it's really it's really Ott and uh, Van Buren. As of right now, it's just you know, and it's, it's shown with the run totals that they've given up in these midweek games to teams that aren't bad. I mean, like you know, Georgetown and George Mason as well. But uh, I mean, you know, teams that they should be beating and they 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 were beating last year. Those are probably the top two guys midweek, but they just haven't shown much promise in terms of this year in terms of you know giving giving the team, you know, four or five solid innings. That's, that's the issue with them midweek wise. Yeah. And, and I look at, I look at Logan Ott specifically. I mean, he's got in 26 innings, he's got 24 strikeouts and six walks like that. Look, that's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. pretty good at any level. Right. Like, but 39 hits in 26 innings, like wow. nine home runs. Like, I mean, what that is, I don't know if there's bad ball luck. I don't know if he's central of the like you throw a ton of strikes but if it's in this box in the middle you get you get hammered so that's something that at least there's some hope that there's some swing and miss stuff and he throws strikes that's something you can work off of and then you look at kenny Lippman, who's obviously the guy from denison i mean he's only has a 1.17 whip with a 5.63 era so there's definitely some positives to look at with a couple guys like that means he's not getting hit a ton he's throwing strikes but there's just some unluckiness in there six home runs will do that to you occasionally so it'll be interesting to see which guys step up but it is nice to know that you at least have a couple guys that can um so over to what's a lot more fun in my mind, uh, is Maryland's offense. Uh, love what they do. Um, just love how their offense swings about. Love their plan of attack. I was a hitting coach in college, so I very much am infatuated with you know how guys approach the game, how guys go through it. And when you watch a Maryland team play, like, like I said, you can tell one through nine guys got plans. You can tell guys can swing it. Um, what's kind of the most interesting thing to me, to be honest with you, I'm probably going to catch you off guard a little bit here, is what's kind of happened with Ian Petrutz because I saw him against Ole Miss and I was okay. like, Petra, see, yeah, there you go. You're the you're the, you're the broadca- broadcaster. Yeah, you got to. I appreciate it. You just you're making me better. That's what I'm saying. You exactly. should hear me all exactly. every day. I'm botching names up. So, like I told you, you're gonna hear some things that might not, especially with these names on the offense. I might have you have to run. Through. <laughs> yeah, some of these are tough. Uh, <laughs> so, what's been kind of going on with him? Because you see him hit the grand slam on Friday night against Ole Miss, and you're like. Hey, this is duty. Had a great year last year, and and I mean, he still showed some power this year. He's got eight home runs, but the the average has dropped down to two forty five. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, he, he's come up in a lot of big situations. Um, late lately, he hasn't been in the starting lineup. You might have seen he's missed a few games. He got mm-hmm. hit uh, during practice. It was at the very tail end of practice about two weeks ago. Uh, it was like a, a rogue a rogue foul ball that went off a. A pole down, a pole at their at their uh, you know like a metal pole and hit him right in the eye, uh, and and yeah, and so he was out for uh, you know a, a, over a week or so, uh, and now he's wearing like he wears like goggles. I, I I it seems like he's fine now. His vision seems to be okay, but he's you know he was sidelined from that. Uh, I think it was tough right off the bat because 
he he's not like a lot of college players, not used to playing DH. And Hakopian, Eddie Hakopian, the Cypress College transfer, won the job over at first base. Uh, you know, which, which says a lot about him. But you know, Petrutz is put in the in the DH spot, and um, you know, he started out as we mentioned, had a few big home runs. Uh, and Vaughn talked about his preparation's been great. It's just the timing isn't there, and he's just been missing a few pitches that that he should be handling. He's been working with Swope a lot on that. Um, you know, he's, he hasn't just, he hasn't squared the ball up well recently, uh, after, after that hot start and, and he hasn't been getting as many at bats as he liked, you know, because the injury and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, he, he's a great guy. I, I had him on, on the Maryland baseball network podcast and mature beyond his years. I mean, he really thinks before he speaks, um, just a super interesting guy. He's a dog. I mean, I, I love him. I love Petrut. So hopefully Hopefully he gets going again, but it's definitely tough. You know, not he's used to playing last year. He was in the outfield, and I believe he played some first base. And now he's now he's you know DH. So it's uh it's definitely tough making that adjustment. Well, I'll take two things from there, Ian. You're more than welcome on this podcast as well. I'd love to talk hitting with you. Uh, we can get in the weeds. So uh, oh, <laughs> that... he he is great. I mean, as a as a broadcaster perspective, he is the best interviewer on the team because yeah. you'll ask him the breakdown in that bat, and he'll look at every single pitch. It is great. Like he's not going to tell you the same same old same old. Like yeah. you know, I'm just looking for a good pitch to hit stuff like that. Like no, he'll break down the at bat. Like what the pitcher, what he was seeing from the pitcher. All this, he's great. He's great. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I might have to. I might have to check out and see if he's got uh, open DMs on Twitter. I might reach out to to talk to him and talk some hitting. And the second thing is, I used to tell our hitters this all the time: timing takes time, right? You miss time, especially in a D one season, especially when you're seeing ninety three, ninety five, not plus occasionally. Brody Breck throws a hundred plus, right? It, it, you can't miss two weeks and expect to come back. Even something as small as wearing goggles messes with you right like it's the little things that when you try to make that transition in the middle of a season it's hard right so that comes as no surprise that he's struggling a little bit he'll be fine he's such a talented hitter so obviously the guy that everybody talks about the guy that everybody knows he started out the year a little slow um but when you look at his stat line now matt shaw can't botch his name it's pretty (laughs) self-explanatory 348 12 home runs just 11 stolen bases and 12 attempts. What do you get to see every day that from the public perception of just seeing the highlights that makes him even more impressive than just the stat line or 500 foot home runs that in Iowa city? Yeah. Uh, you know, spending time around him, you know, traveling with the team. Um, he, he, he goes about his business. He's just, he's very professional. You know, he has a very professional like attitude, the way he carries himself, you know, the way he prepares, um, he he's he's always locked in. Like you know, he, he never wavers from from what he's you know what he's going for. He's such a driven guy. Uh, you mentioned the stolen bases. He's always pressuring Vaughn. Vaughn talked about this at the beginning of the year. He always wants to go. He always wants to steal. Uh, you know, his his defense has been great as well. Uh, you know, the preparation is just you know, Coach Vaughn has talked about it. It's it's, it's like nobody nobody he's seen before, and that he said the sky's the limit for him. Um, you know, he's, he's just done a great job staying, staying focused, staying on course. Uh, you know, he, he does everything with a purpose, you know, from the time he wakes up to go to sleep, he's talked about this is he, he has a purpose for everything he does. And, you know, just going back to the defense on Saturday, you know, a lot of people, the scouts don't, don't believe that he can play, you know, shortstop at, at the big leagues. He's at shortstop. Now he convinced Vaughn a few years ago, uh, you know, 
coach, you know, put me at shortstop for, for uh, you know, for fall ball. And, you know, Vaughn was like, okay, and I'll do it kind of, but like, you know, you're, you're going to go back to your other infield position um, at the end of the, at the end of camp. And, and he did so well, he ended up winning the shortstop job uh, and never looked back, but he made a great relay throw on Saturday, which cut down the, uh, the go ahead run in the seventh or eighth inning. Uh, you know, so he does it with his arm. He's, he, he has good arm strength. He's really worked on that as well. Um, you know, but scouts don't necessarily think he can play shortstop at the major league level. And he's made some great plays this season, not just in the field, but of course at the plate. And you mentioned he's kind of, uh, you know, people, people thought he struggled at the beginning. He still reached base all but two games this year. He's riding like yeah. a 26 game on base streak. I mean, it's automatic for him. I mean, pitchers will, will he'll be on deck and they're already thinking about him because they know mm-hmm. the threat he is at the plate. He's just, he's so good. The 507 foot home run, ridiculous. He is, uh, he's, he's just, he's an animal. He's on a different level. Yeah. That no, he, he can, he can flat out play. He's such a fun player to watch. And, and obviously he's, he's going to make himself a pretty penny, uh, here in a couple of, here in a couple of months. And he's, he's definitely going to have a professional career ahead of him. So, you know, I'll kind of give you an opportunity here. Who are some other guys that, that everybody should know? Obviously we can look at stat lines all day, um, and see some guys that are even outperforming match all, but who are some other guys in that lineup that are fun to watch that the public should know that maybe don't get the credit that they deserve because of obviously the bigger names in, in, in that lineup. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's Luke Schliger to start. I think he does get a, a good amount of credit, though. He's gonna he's gonna be picked up by an MLB team in the draft. Uh, he he wears number three, which is the captain position, uh, which you know means a lot in, in the Maryland uh, you know in the Maryland program. Of course, Bubba Aline had it last year. Chris Aline, as uh, as, as his first name is, um, you know, he was drafted by the Dodgers organization. So he he's been great. Again, he's reached base thirty plus thirty two consecutive games now. Uh, hit, hitting over 300, he was great in the Cape and All Star, along with Shaw, of course, who was the Pat Sorrenti MVP, Cape Cod League MVP. Um, so I, I think Schliger gets a lot of credit. So he's, a, you know, Shaw and Schliger are the two guys people really look at. And then Nick Larusso, uh, he just on Saturday his uh, 32 game hitting streak, uh, or excuse me, 31 game hitting streak was snapped, which is a program record, nearly doubled the program record before, which was uh, which was 19. He's been incredible this year. Coach Vaughn has said numerous times the past few weeks he should be in Double A right now. But you know, scouts, uh, you know, scouts just didn't pick him up enough. He didn't get drafted by any team, and uh, Coach Vaughn is definitely happy to have him back. He leads the Big Ten in home runs and RBIs. He had another home run today. Um, he, he's another guy. Consistency is key. He's been he's been great. He's been the cornerstone of this team's. Uh, offense so far, uh, you know, other people have had ebbs and flows in their offensive game. He's been great all season long. So, you know, I think he's a big guy to watch out for. Again, leads the Big Ten in, in home runs and RBIs. And then the name that people might not necessarily be as familiar on because he is a transfer, Eddie Hacopian, uh, the, the Cypress College transfer from California. A lot of people know his dad in the Maryland community. His dad was a Triple Crown winner, uh, the ACC Player of the Year. Uh, in 1992, was an All-American for the Terps. So, you know, Hokopian is, is a pretty big last name uh, in the Maryland baseball community. He's been pretty good for them this year, hitting, uh, you know, around 300. Um, but he's reached base on base 33 of his last 35 games. Um, and, and just getting to see him, his dad, Derek, he also has a, a brother, I believe, uh, his brother's name is Jack, who's a Wake Forest commit. You might be familiar with him. Uh, Jack mm-hmm. Hopi, who's just an, who's an animal. Looks like the guy, he's like 17 years old. He's a senior right now at Winston Churchill High School. 
he looks he looks a lot older than he is. He's the way he's built all this, but he he's incredible. So getting to watch Derek Kopi and Eddie's dad, Matt Swope, and then Kopi himself, just all talk hitting after these games. Like I I've been uh, privy enough to be in some of these conversations, just kind of listening from the outside in uh, to hear them all talk about hitting because you know Swope and Kopi and Derek, his dad, are on this are on the same page. It's not like they're telling. You know, Eddie, two different things. So to hear them all talk about hitting has been has been really fascinating. Derek is at all of his son's games, uh, a big supporter of his son. Uh, uh, two weeks ago when Maryland was last at home, I hear I'm getting ready to pack up with my broadcast, all the broadcasting stuff at 10 p.m. I hear, I hear uh, you know, a metal bat hitting a ball in the shell. And I'm like, somebody's taking hacks. I bet you that's Eddie. Again, it's like 10 p.m. at night on a Friday after the win against Rutgers, and sure enough, I peek through, and, and it's Eddie. Uh, he's he's just a dog, you know. He's he's great. His dad his dad has told him a lot. Matt, Matt Swope's been great, uh, a great asset for him, and he's a, he's a, a great story. A lot of people don't know this, but he was he wasn't even a starter when he came to Cypress College in California. Uh, the goal was always to get to Maryland, but his dad did you know thought he was too raw. Thought he wasn't good enough to play at the D1 level. Uh, him included at the uh, you know Eddie included when he was you know going into freshman year, uh, but one of the uh, one of the starters his his sophomore year broke his wrist and Eddie was inserted into the starting lineup and never looked back went on like a twenty plus game hit streak or something like that uh, and then you know the Terps looked at him this season they they got him Eddie was uh, Eddie was on board quickly and he's been he's been great with them and he's also he's been a really good defender over at first base. That's awesome. That's phenomenal. And that, that's, that's the good stuff. That's what you want to hear when you're, when you're hearing stories about baseball and, and the inside details on these, uh, on these teams. Cause obviously there's so many moving parts that go into a college program. So Aaron, where can our listeners find you? Obviously, uh, if anybody wants to tune into the Maryland baseball network, just let them know where, where they can find you and where they can uh, follow Maryland baseball. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's Maryland baseball network. I don't know the exact link i should probably know this but if you just type in maryland baseball network on google it's the first thing that's going to come up you know we have a website we have a whole writing team uh we do game recaps i uh you know we do game recaps and if you go on the website the first page you'll see which would be the first link maryland baseball network it says listen here you can find all of our games on mixler so it's not your typical radio where you have it's like the fm am dial you can listen from anywhere uh you know really really supportive fan base um we travel to every game, whether it's the road or at home. We'll, we'll always be on the air. I host a podcast, a number of podcasts each week. Uh, you know, Maryland baseball. You can find all of our. You can find us on Twitter at Maryland Baseball Network, our SoundCloud Maryland Baseball Network, where you can find all of our podcasts, all of our pregame interviews, uh, all of the game highlights. Uh, so the SoundCloud, Twitter, and then you know, of course, our website, Maryland Baseball Network, which will take you to the Mixler link, which is where you can find. Uh, find our broadcast. So, and, and I'm Aaron Arnstein. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm always retweeting and talking about uh, Maryland baseball myself. You know, promoting promoting my podcasts with uh, with players and stuff like that. It's at Aaron Arnstein, A A R O N A R N S T E I N. So, Trevor, thank you so much for having me on. Great to talk Maryland baseball. I'm I'm glad uh, glad to spread the love of of Maryland of Terps baseball to uh, to your community. Yes, definitely. No, I mean, I mean, we're we're super excited. Like I said, we're we're infatuated with what they do at Maryland, and and again, it it comes as no surprise that it's led by a really good coaching staff, and, no, and they do a really they're, good they're, job they're, recruiting. Let, yep. uh, let me. Uh, we haven't really talked about the coaching staff, but 
just on a personal level, those guys are so they're so personable and you know, they don't think too much of themselves and they've had a, a nice group. Now Morrison's in his second season. Uh, but, but the, you know, the, the tenured staff that they have bonds been, been uh, with the program for a while now, you know, Swope of course played at Maryland now in his 10th season as coach, uh, Papio, Anthony Papio, the assistant coach, also played there. Uh, he's been with the team for a couple of years, and then Coach Morrison. They're all just they're all just quality, quality human beings, uh, and it's 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 great to be around them every day. But they've they've really built something special in College Park. Yeah, definitely, they have. They've done a good job, and and anybody who is familiar with the area, familiar with the local recruits that they bring in, you can see it. Um, and I bet the personality of the coaches and the approachability that helps your job a little bit too um, which i'm sure you're very appreciative of so um no doubt about that but we appreciate everything uh all the content um you know make sure you're following aaron on all social channels as well as the maryland baseball network uh checking out some games and and being able to hear them on the call do you do the play-by-play as well Yep, yep. So uh, I'm an aspiring play-by-play broadcaster. So good. I'm on the play-by-play. Yep. That's awesome. That's awesome. I knew. I knew. I knew you were on the play-by-play when you spelled your name out. I was like, that was smooth. (laughs) That was. You didn't even miss a beat. So, uh, but. To our listeners, thank you again. Make sure you're liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast. Obviously, we got a lot of content coming out, following on all social channels with the MLB season, with the college season turning into form. We got three episodes a week. Aaron is an A's fan, so he's a little Colin Palouse fan as well. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So, um, you know, everybody loves Colin, even the bat dog in Las Vegas. I don't know if anybody saw the video, but the bat dog ran up to Colin, was getting some pets so you know just ultimate good guy out there we love colin but make sure you're supporting him out in las vegas but until next time we'll see you guys on the next podcast